You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, I want to take this opportunity to welcome each and every one of you here this morning. Happy Easter. And for us, as we've been singing about this morning, the key to Easter is the resurrection. Amen? Uh, For those of you, if this is your first time here or you're visiting with us online, welcome to South Bay Church. Uh, Hello to those of you at home that are watching us. I believe my mother-in-law, Mom Dickens, is watching. Hey, Mom. Uh, But with that, for those of you that are at home and you've gotten to that point where you're healthy, there aren't any physical challenges of any kind there, I want to encourage you to come out and you're able to see this from our, our camera here in the back. There's nothing better than being able to be with one another. Amen. And uh, a special shout out to uh, Ben Hill this morning. Ben has been absolutely amazing, accommodating, flexible, all that good stuff. We had a uh, get together in our backyard. We had about 50 people over for Good Friday, which uh, was a great time together. But uh, there were a number of different things that changed up, and Ben's just been amazing when it comes to flexibility. Craig's, if you're watching, actually, I think they're somewhere else this morning, but I'm going to give you a shout out anyways. We miss you guys. Grateful that you've got some time away for your sabbatical, and uh, I know you're healing up. I think I may end up grabbing a beer with Brian next week, so uh, kind of on the down low, but I guess it's out there now anyway. So anyway, but uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and go to the Father in prayer, amen? Oh, Father, uh, geez, there's so many things going through my head right now. Just understanding the significance of the last few days. Uh, as some have already shared, we heard the Winklers this morning, uh, Aiden, in the passage that he read for us. The fact that you would go to the extremes that you did to give us the opportunity to spend eternity with you is absolutely mind-blowing. We look at the, the, the thousands of years that transpired from the beginning in the garden to where we are today and the degree and the effort, the idea that you would actually come down in human form yourself, that you would send Jesus to die for us, to be that atonement, that shedding of blood, which would give us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven. But then even beyond that, the transformation that takes place through the waters of baptism, knowing that as Jesus died, was buried and resurrected, the symbolism behind the baptism that takes place for each and every one of us that decide to make Jesus Lord. Father, thank you for that. Thank you for taking something perishable and making it imperishable. Uh, when we did not deserve it in the least. But we're here today as we sing to you, as we pray to you, and as we read your word, just to bring your honor and to glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, through the years, there's uh, all kinds of quotes, different people that are quoted that have said some pretty inspiring things. I want to share a few of those this morning. I think uh, one of my favorites through the years, uh, some of our earlier presidents, some of it with what they had to say, but more significantly, the way they demonstrated their character and integrity, the likes of a George Washington or a President Lincoln. And Lincoln had a quote that really resonates with me. It may not be one of the more uh, significant ones or popular ones, but it definitely resonates with me. And it, uh, Lincoln said, I'm a success today because I had a friend who believed in me and I didn't have the heart to let him down. 
More relevant today, in light of what's going on on a global spectrum, uh, it's a name that probably not too many of us were familiar with, but I would imagine everybody here today is, and that's the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. And when speaking of the war in his presidency, he was quoted as saying, the president can't change the country on his own, but what can he do? He can give an example. And what an example we've seen there from a man without some of the pedigree or degrees that people would normally have in the position he holds, but to be able to rally his people the way that he did, and the significance of that was because of his personal example. We, we've seen these kinds of situations many, many times play out in the world where a leader's life is, is being threatened. And what do they do? They go into exile. They disappear. And he has stayed there in the midst of everything that's going on in the Ukraine. And I totally believe that's why the Ukrainian people have rallied behind him in the way that they have to try and do something with this aggressor, the Russians, that we've seen. Martin Luther, a German monk, this gentleman changed Christianity forever in 1517 when he put his words into a thesis. That thesis, the 95 thesis, was nailed to a church door. And his words challenged the teachings of the Catholic Church. But there's another quote, maybe it's not as significant as some, but one that resonates with me. And it reads, Our Lord Jesus Christ is the valiant man who fights. He fights for us. He conquers for us. And he triumphs for us. Amen. But out of all the words that have ever been spoken, there are none that echo quite the way through the ages or that have changed the course of history, ushered in a spiritual revolution more than the words we find in Matthew 28, verse 6. The words spoken by an angel at an empty tomb, which he is not here, he is risen. And just really understanding the significance of that. Jesus is not dead. The tomb is, not, the tomb is actually empty. And Christ is risen for each and every one of us. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us quite a bit of insight into the significance of these things. But this morning, I'd like for us to really focus on those words, too, and Paul regarding Christ and the resurrection. Now, while most Sundays in South Bay, as we worship here... It's rooted in the testimony of Jesus and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And Easter provides this amazing opportunity to consider the significance of the resurrection and our faith. Now, an interesting aspect of the early Christian faith and Christian history is that of the resurrection. Not of the cross, but of the resurrection. And many contemporary Christians today view the cross as the focal point of Christian faith. You know, when we think it through, the cross is something that's very definitely significant for each and every one of us, right? But that is not the thing that Paul calls our attention to today, nor is it the thing that enables us to really enter into a right relationship with God. Now, on that cross, again, it's definitely vital, and it was a means through which Jesus atoned for our sins with his death, and ultimately the shedding of his blood that took place on that cross, you know, and it was, it was awesome to be able to get together Friday night in our backyard to really focus on what took place the three days prior, what took place prior to the resurrection. Uh, we read out of Matthew 26, 27, it kind of encompasses everything that Jesus went through during those final hours. Uh, the, the mocking, the being spit upon, the beating. We watched the uh, cross video, which 
it kind of encapsulates his life, culminating in his death. I did get a few awes when we cut off the video and the screen goes black. After we hear those last heartbeat, the last beats of Jesus' heart, because today's the day that's significant. He didn't rise from the dead yesterday, the day before. It was a matter of that culmination of that time in the tomb. And really with that, as we think about it, you know, as we sit here this morning, we can be reminded of what took place at Golgotha, the sacrifice. But in Jesus' time, death on a cross was not something that was unique at all. It's something the Roman Empire was very, very efficient at. In 71 B.C., to give you an idea of their efficiency, it kind of boggles my mind that this took place in the course of a day. 6,000 people in one day were crucified as the aftermath of the Spartacus Rebellion. 6,000 people nailed to a cross. So as we can see, just by those numerics on one day, the crucifixion, the nailing of Jesus to a cross was definitely not something that was unique. But what was unique is what took place after that death on the cross. So let's listen to Paul's words here in 1 Corinthians 15. It's an incredible passage of encouragement and hope. It provides comfort to those that are grieving. It promises those who are separated from God this amazing holy transformation from mortal flesh to this immortal spiritual condition, this union with God because of this amazing gift that was given to us through a resurrected Savior. It culminates with Christ as this mighty conqueror who rose from the dead. And he's able to keep the promises that we see in this chapter because of the resurrection. And here's what the resurrection does. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. It reads, So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weaknesses. It's raised in power. It's sown in a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now, if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it was written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. So we, we have this illustration, this picture of the very first man that God created in the garden. And they have this amazing, incredible, unique relationship. I mean, imagine the most lush garden ever, and to be able to walk through that with God. And that's what Adam had. That's what Eve had, this amazing one-on-one relationship. But we know because of sin, that relationship was destroyed. So we have the, the first Adam, and the second Adam here is referencing Jesus Christ. Verse 48 or verse 47, the first man was of the dust of the earth, the second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of this earth. And as it is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Again, this contrast, knowing that because of sin, because of Adam, we're separated from God. No relationship because of the impurity that took place with that. But the other image that we're given here is the fact that at some point in time, we bear the image of the heavenly man. Verse 50, it says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You know, who who do we hear that come from? 
You guys remember the interaction that Jesus had with Gamaliel, or actually with Nicodemus? Isn't this exactly what was being discussed here? So we see Paul referencing this as well. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkle of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. You know, this is what I love about God. We've heard this referenced a few times this morning. God's plan, his longing, this desire from him from the very beginning was to have a personal relationship with his people. A personal relationship with you and me. And we understand that Adam, as we all do, we mess up. We fall short. And we're not owed anything. But with those mess-ups, with sin, there's a separation that takes place. And because of that, Jesus had to come down in the flesh to be that final atonement for each and every one of us. But the thing that's key here is that we have to be clothed with the imperishable. And you know, and this is where it gets a little weird when it comes to baptism and that people don't really understand the significance. It's not a matter of just getting wet. There's a transition that takes place. We enter the water with this physical body that's perishable. It's destined for hell. But we exit the waters clothed in Christ. That's the thing that's significant. That was what gives God the ability to step back into this relationship with us as we step out of the waters of baptism. Clothed with the imperishable of Jesus Christ. That's the image. That's how God sees us. Verse 53. So again, with this whole thing with Adam in the garden, there was a need for transformation from the perishable to the imperishable. And there's a specific point in time that takes place. Verse 53, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, now and again, where does that transformation take place? Kind of got ahead of myself a little bit here, but that doesn't matter. It's through the waters of baptism. Paul talks about that in Galatians 3 verse 27. That the resurrection, he talks about it throughout the book of Romans, actually. And we've got to understand that when we read these books of the Bible, man is what segmented them for us to be able to reference things and turn to it and find it. But the book of Romans is an entire letter. It's like a roadmap as to how to have a right relationship with God. So we can't pick and choose verses out of context. It's so incredibly significant and important for us to read things contextually. So where does this transformation take place? Well, Paul talks about it again in Galatians 3, 27. He tells us that baptism is a participation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, where the imperishable is clothed, or excuse me, the perishable is clothed with the imperishable. That almost got away from me. That would not have been good. I would have had some of you lining up to me, with me afterwards. Uh, bro, you know, did you realize what you said there? Anyway, verse 54. It says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. And then and only then will death be swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. In verse 57, it says, But thanks be to God, he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, letting nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. The resurrection proves and is witness to Christ's deity. You know, the resurrection just screams the deity of Christ. And again, we've got to keep this in mind, that death on the cross did not accomplish our redemption. He paid for the sins of the world on that cross, but it did not prove to the world that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. You know, some view the crucifixion as an honorable sacrifice made by a gifted teacher. Others point to the cross as a failure of Jesus to demonstrate his power. For those of us that are familiar with the passage, we know that there was a thief on the cross that mocked him. We know that the religious leaders of the day mocked him. If you're Jesus Christ, come on down off of that cross. Come on down. If you're the Christ. And it blows my mind knowing that he had the power to call on a legion of angels. He could come down off that cross, but we wouldn't be sitting here today. There'd be absolutely no forgiveness of sin. We'd still be in that perishable body that Paul talks about here. Fortunately, as disciples of Christ, the Bible paints a much different picture. Christ's crucifixion was a triumph as illustrated and declared by the resurrection. The Apostle Paul declared that the resurrection proved that Jesus was the Son of God. Talks about it in Romans 1, verse 4. And in the text of 1 Corinthians 15, we read that Christ conquers all enemies and he destroys all dominion and hands the kingdom over to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. Whoops. What did I do here? There we go. No. (laughs) One more. There we go. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. You'd think with this button I couldn't miss it, right? It's that big green one right there in the middle. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. It says, Then the end will come when he stands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. What this shows us here is that Jesus Christ has authority over everything that we are a part of because of the resurrection. You know, others have made similar claims to being deity. But unlike others who have made the claim to be gods, the tomb of Jesus is empty because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. And you know, we've seen this with all types through the centuries where there were these claims that have been made, yet their bones are more than visible wherever it was they were laid to rest. No bones in the tomb of Jesus. As the angel said regarding the tomb, he's not here. He is risen. He is the Holy Son of God who is worthy to receive glory, honor, and praise. You know, this is what I love about God, the extremes that he's willing to go to. The resurrection gives us our dignity back. You know, we take a few minutes to think about how we lived our lives. 
I know I think about mine. You know, it's kind of interesting. A buddy of mine sent me some pictures from junior high school the other day. Uh, I've lost track of, probably intentionally. There's a lot of things I forgot about from back then. I didn't even realize I was a basketball player until I saw this yearbook again. I was on the B team. <laughs> and there, there were actually some guys that had some talent on that team. I, I don't know, they must have been short of bodies or something. That's all I can think. Because, like I said, it must not have been. I'll, I'll break it out at another time. I didn't, I didn't have time to mess with it here today. But, you know, I, I look back and I look at that picture, and I was around 12, 13 years old. And I do remember a sense of innocence during that period of time. And I, during that time, I was raised Catholic. I went through catechism, was confirmed. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a thing that you have to do to, to do for what was done for you when you were baptized. Because obviously as an infant, there's no knowledge of faith. You don't really know what you're doing. So someone steps in and does it for you. And at the age of 13, I was confirmed. Yeah, okay, God's cool. My parents said to me within a week or two after that, so, you know, I just want to let you know you're old enough to make your own decisions now, which I'm not quite sure I understand looking back, especially as who I was as a 13-year-old, <laughs> at, which, at which point I said, okay, great, I'm done. I'm out. I'm done with church. And I, as a 13-year-old, the other thing with this innocence in one hand, the thing that was kind of crazy about it is I remember the hypocrisy growing up. The, the TV evangelist never thought in a million years that that tag EV would be something that would be a part of who Steve Marici is. But, you know, from the age of 13 to 32, I was agnostic. And it wasn't until my son was born, being adopted, he was my first blood relative, that really had an impact on me. I think the, some of the hardness, some of the character issues that I had, you know, the scales started to fall from the eyes, realized I couldn't instill any kind of morals with my kids. We started bouncing around from churches at that point. And it wasn't until someone actually invited me out to church, this church, and asked me to study the Bible, I was given an idea as to how perishable I was, what a mess I was. And really, there was a lot of shame involved with the sin that had taken place in my life. Things like adultery, pornography. I mean, it's just this endless list. You know, my two-year-old using the F word. Why? I was his peer group. I couldn't blame it on anybody else. But just really that understanding that Jesus came to restore my dignity is pretty amazing. You know, outside of the resurrection, we're not worthy. At the center of our faith is the resurrection. And Paul provides us with this amazing explanation in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. It says, But if I preach that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? You know, as we've heard the last couple of weeks as we've gone through Corinthians, this is one of the things that divided the early church. Some were saying Jesus actually rose from the dead physically. Some said that he was a ghost. He was more of an apparition. There were all these different things that were out there. And Paul's trying to dial it back into what people witnessed, what people saw, the changed lives that they had. So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him in the fact that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, 
you are still in your sins. See, so without the empty tomb, without the resurrection, without that first Easter Sunday, sin would have definitely had the last laugh, and we would be stuck in it forever. Nothing but shame, zero dignity. And what is dignity? It's pretty awesome. Especially when you realize, I look at this and I realize it didn't apply to me. Dignity, the state of quality of being worthy of honor and respect. And that is what the waters of baptism, that is what the resurrection offers us. Dignity before God. You know, without that empty tomb, without the resurrection, without that first Easter, again, sin would have the last laugh. But that's not the case as the resurrection was witnessed by hundreds of people. You know, when sin entered the world, it ushered in a new era of death and decay. And we see that in Genesis 2, verse 17. And then we have this thing called the law that the Jews have tried to abide by. But the reality of the law, Paul talks about in Romans 3.20, the law as stated by Paul is to point out our sin, to point out how we fall short of God. But the law, what we find in the Old Testament, can't cure us of sin. And Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 23, or Romans 6, verse 21 through 23, but what good did you receive from the things that you did? All you have to show for them is your shame, and they lead to death. Now you've been set free from sin, and you're God's slaves. This will make you holy and will lead you to eternal life. Freedom from sin, transformation from slaves of sin to slaves of God and being pardoned and having our dignity restored is only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of the resurrection. It's only because he is not there in that tomb, but he is risen. Verse 23 states quite simply, sin pays off with death. See, our rebellion against God earns death, someone's death. Someone had to be the sacrifice for that sin, for our sin, for my sin, for your sin, to be forgiven. That's why Jesus, who was sinless, could die in our place and then rise from the dead. The resurrection isn't just important to Christians. The resurrection is the entire basis for Christian faith. Jesus died for your sin and he rose to life proving his sacrifice was not in vain. He's alive to declare to you and to me and to the world that you are this amazingly unique creation of God's with a significant place in God's family, his church. And Jesus gives us back our place of dignity and honor before God. Before Jesus died for our sins and rose to life, we too, through the waters of baptism, are transformed and raised to a new life. Romans 6, verse 8. Excuse me, 1 through 8. Romans 6, 1 through 8. It reads, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism. So what's the, what's the significance here? Just as Jesus died on a cross and was buried in a tomb and then rose on the third day, baptism is that point in time where we're transformed. As we're laid down into the waters of baptism, that watery grave, we're buried in those waters. 
And coming up out of those waters as we've made Jesus Christ Lord of our life, we're transformed. The perishable becomes imperishable. Verse 5. Or actually, let me go ahead and start over again there in verse 4. We're therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When does that new life start? That's it. You come up out of those waters of baptisms, that where, that's where it starts, guys. December 10th, 1990 for me. That's where it started. And I'm sure most of you can turn to the left or the right of you and share exactly when that spiritual birth date was for you. So if we've been united with him in death, like we will also certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his, verse 6, for we know that the old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we are also alive with him. Because he is not there in that tomb. Because he's risen. Because of that, we have this incredible opportunity to share in this resurrected life with Christ our Savior. To be transformed. To be freed. And I'm really excited about this. We have Julio and Jackie Quintanilla who are going to be sharing that transformation in their life here in just a little bit this morning. The resurrection gives us hope. The resurrection gives us hope. God, our creator, has gone to great lengths to communicate his love to each and every one of us. He put it on the line when he sent Jesus to die on a cross. And Jesus' resurrection reminds us that these trials that we're in, they're temporary. I mean, Jesus talks about it. We may have to carry a cross for a short time. But the yoke of Jesus is light, and ultimately there's this resurrection that leads to eternal glory. Despair. You know, I, I look at this world today, I think we've got more people dealing with despair than we ever have in my entire lifetime. And that's much longer than most of you here this morning. But, you know, this, this idea of despair, it's a real thing. Despair is like a, a locked door that keeps one trapped inside this room of pain. And then there, this thing, hope, seems to be something that's utterly unreachable. There's this huge distance be between you and that locked door, being able to escape it. But the resurrection kicks open the door to freedom, peace, grace, and hope for better life here and for eternity. Romans 6, verse 23 says, and again, just a reminder, sin pays off with death, but God's gift, I love this but right here, right? But God's gift is eternal life given by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Eternal life only comes through the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is transformative. Romans 6, verse 9. Last passage, and you'll, I will be done shortly here. Romans 6, verse 9. We know that death no longer has any power over Christ. He died and was raised to life, never again to die. When Christ died, he died for sin once and for all. But now he is alive and he lives only for God. In the same way, you must think of yourselves as dead to the power of sin. But Christ Jesus has given life to you and you live for God. Don't let sin rule in your body. After all, your part, or your body is bound to die, so don't obey its desires. Or let any part of it become a slave of evil. 
Give yourselves to God as people who have been raised from death to life. Make every part of your body a slave that pleases God. Don't let sin keep ruling your lives. You are ruled by God's undeserved grace and not by the law. You know, this closing thought this morning is that through the resurrection of Jesus, we are transformed. Through this transformation, we are delivered from death. And really understanding, most of you here understand that, and that's why you're here, is that the resurrection was an invitation to you. The resurrection is an invitation to receive what Christ has prepared for each and every one of us. For those of us who have chosen Jesus, those of us who are his baptized disciples, we have received this amazing opportunity of a transformed life today, as well as for eternity, this promise of eternity with God in heaven, with Jesus in heaven for eternity. And his offer of eternal life is a gift, but here's the thing with gifts. you got to receive it. Somebody extends it to you, what do you got to do with it? you got to take it. You know, I, I know there's some people that are funky about gifts because uh, for those of you that read the, watch the Big Bang Theory, we know that Sheldon had issues with them. Why? Because if somebody gave him something, he felt like he would have to reciprocate. Well, the only reciprocation that God has for us when he extends that gift is for us to make sure that we acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord, and with that, we're willing to obey what Christ has established. Amen. So what will you do with the invitation? He's not here. He's risen. Let's leave here today thinking and living as people have been raised from the death to life through Jesus Christ. As declared by the angel of the tomb, he is not here. He is risen. Happy Easter. I give you the quintanillas. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Jackie. Um, I first want to thank the leaders for the opportunity to share our testimony today. And uh, secondly, I want to share uh, a little bit about myself and uh, what the cross has meant in my life to the person that I once was and who I am today in Christ. Amen. First off, um, I was born and raised in a large town called Tijuana, Baja California. You might have heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, uh, you know, the firstborn of three children who grew up in constant fear of an extremely verbally and psychologically abusive father in fact, the first and main feeling I recall having as a little girl was fear. Fear of my father, an unhealthy fear of God, whom I was taught gave no room for mistakes, and uh, sent, uh, you know, an unhealthy fear um, for God, and um, that he sent disobedient little girls to hell, and a fear of men in general. To me, my father represented what the rest of men were supposed to be like. At around five years old, I was already uh, being molested by another family member. By the time I was a teenager, I had lived through so much domestic violence and verbal abuse that all that fear turned into hate towards men, 
insecurity and anger towards God and my parents for how neglected and unloved I felt. I had the type of memories that may cause nightmares and PTSD, which they did. I promised myself I would never allow any man to treat me the way my mother had been treated. At one point, I even considered dating women, although I never went through with it. As a teenager, I decided to leave my house and move with my aunt in the United States for school. I felt free for once to do whatever I wanted, and I did. I was now sinning against my own body by choice. The same month I graduated high school, I met Julio. Although I had many trust issues, the peace and stability I felt whenever I was around him and his family was foreign to me. I had never felt so safe and loved before. I fell in love with him. He was Prince Charming. He was my God, until he wasn't. The void was still there. I was so triggered by everything he did. My past traumas had finally caught up with me. I began to hate him and myself for breaking the promise I'd made myself. I wanted to leave or die. In my mind, there was no other way out. Little did I know that God had other plans for our lives. Julio's own sister was a disciple at campus at the time at the EICOC, here, our church, um, who invited us to Sunday service. Through the word, I realized how little I, I knew God and how much I needed his forgiveness and healing in my life. On May 23rd of 2010, we made the decision to make Jesus Lord of our lives. Amen. I'd be lying if I said everything was perfect from that moment on. It took time and a willingness to open old wounds and a trust in God's word to begin the healing process. It is still a work in progress. I am never going to be perfect, nor is God expecting me to be. The past seems like a bad nightmare that I'm awake from now. And I can confidently say that God has given me real freedom. And I am no longer a slave to fear, resentment, or self-hate. I have been able to forgive every single person that has caused me pain and take responsibility for my own faults. It is thanks to Jesus taking my place on the cross and more so his resurrection, that my heart has been transformed. God is my real father, and Jesus is my identity. I am so grateful to God for giving me a new life and hope, not only for me, but for my husband and children as well. Amen. And to have wise people and loving people that remind me of this in tough times. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, baby. I love you. I'm very proud of her. And, uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I don't take anything for granted, right? And just the fact that we're here together 
still together is a big deal. Um, you know, I once heard from a, a sermon, a pastor say that uh, sometimes the person that's going to hurt you most in life is the person that was standing right next to you when you said, I do, right? So it's been 19 years and, you know, a lot of good moments, but a lot of not so good moments. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. You know, there, there's a scene in um, one of the Avenger movies, uh, the Infinity Wars. There's a scene with, uh, when Tony Stark is talking to Doctor Strange. And he's like, can you peer into the future and see if there's any viable path so we can take out Thanos? And, you know, Doctor Strange starts doing his thing. And, and he's like, there's only one way, right? And I think for us, it, it was very similar. There were so many different ways that this could have totally gone off the rails. And there was only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Yes. And, you know, and so thank you, Jesus. And, uh, you know, thank you to his church. Uh, thank you for the countless uh, people who have, over these years, just really poured into us, who have really loved on us and given us great examples, great advice. It's been invaluable, and we love you guys, and we really appreciate you guys. So amen. Thank you. So, so now I'm going to start. That was just the intro. <laughs> right? So, um... So when, when Red, uh, you know, invited, by, oh, disclaimer, Red, Butler, Julio Quintanilla, different people. I know there's been some confusion lately, but, you know. <laughs> both, both brown, both bald, one by choice. But, um. <laughs> But, you know, I was telling him, you know, when he invited us to do it, so I was like, bro, really, my testimony? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of boring. You know, it's very uneventful. I mean, I don't think it's going to inspire anybody, right? Uh, but I was like, hey, man, you know, we'll do it, right? So um, it's been really interesting. It's been an interesting ride, you know, because now I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm 43 years old. I couldn't even say it. Uh, <laughs> You know, and I'm looking back at my life and my childhood, and I'm like, wow, like, I did that, like, you know, there was, like, so much sin. And um, it's been really interesting, right, because, you know, there's been times now, you know, I'm not, when I'm not really too spiritual, I don't know if any of you guys can relate, and I can be uh, very critical, right, especially of, like, young people, right, like, ah, so... <laughs> They're so selfish, and they just want to have fun, and it's all about them. And then as I'm looking back at my life, I'm like, wow. I'm, I was like the poster boy for selfishness, right? Um, and it's like, man, I was, you know, I was trying to pinpoint when I kind of started veering off track, and I landed like around 10 years old, right? And I remember at 10 years old, already ditching, right, from school, from elementary, and exactly, and, um, <laughs> and you know, and, and it started off very innocently, right? Like, um, 
me and my little friend David, we would just, uh, you would just kind of like hang out at his house and play video games and drink a couple of noodles and drink tang all day, right? <laughs> and, uh, You know, and it started off kind of very innocently, right? But as what happens with sin, you know, when you think you get away with it, you start upping the ante, right? And uh, little by little, right, I started progressing and started becoming worse. I remember, uh, you know, we, we, saw, we found some adult videos, so, you know, started watching pornography, um, I think one of his parents worked like for an airline, so they would bring back a bunch of those little like alcohol, liquor bottles, right? And you know, they seemed so harmless, right? And you know, started drinking. And I was like, why? Because I had strict parents. But uh, you know, and in front of them, I was like a total boy scout, right? But when, when they weren't watching me, you know, I was doing my thing. I'm like, why? Um, you know, because nobody, Nobody was t encouraging me to, to act like this. Nobody was teaching me to act like this. But I guess what I needed was somebody to show me the opposite, right? That's why um, I'm so grateful for the preteen and teen ministry here, right? Because I know I really would have, that would have totally helped me out, right? Um, and, 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 you know, I just really want to encourage you, uh, you know, make sure your kids don't miss out on that. And I understand, right, like um, some of the preteens, they're still learning, the teens are still learning, and they may not be necessarily disciples yet, but they're growing up in Christian homes. That's right. Yeah, come on, bro. They're growing up, you know, every week, coming to church, hearing the word of God. Amen. And does the Bible not say that his word does not return void? That's right. right. And um, Isaiah, it says it like this. So will my word be, which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without it accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the purpose for which I sent it. So thank you, preteen leaders, teen leaders. I know you guys have a, have a special place in heaven. And, you know, really thank you. And, uh, you know, you are doing God's work. Again, I wish I would have had that in my life, right? And I, as I'm uh, growing older, um, you know, it's getting worse. The pornography doesn't end, the drinking doesn't end, but now you add to it drugs, in my case, marijuana. Um, you know, it keeps on progressing. You know, now I'm being promiscuous with girls. It just keeps getting worse, you know, as I get older, I start having more freedoms. You know, I, I end up, by, by the time I was a senior, you know, I, I had a car. Um, you know, I had a little job at Blockbuster Video, so I had a little bit of money. Um, and I was just, it was all about me. It was all about gratifying and satisfying the flesh, right? Just having fun. And even in Blockbuster Video, I remember, you know, instead of being grateful that they gave me a job, I was like stealing movies, right? Um, cause, and, it was, and, and it was so unnecessary because they would give me five free movies a week. So I would... <laughs> so, uh, but I would watch the movies I liked and the ones I liked, I just kept them, right? 
and then a box that will come out, like the, oh, the Lord of the Rings extended version. I want it, right? And I will keep it. And the, the crazy part of all this is that if you would have asked me if I was a good person, I would have said yes. You know, I believe those two lies that everyone who, who believes who, does, who hasn't come to Christ, which is that I'm a good person and that God is so loving that he would never punish me, that he would never send me to hell. Right? I believe that. Remember a few years after that, by, by now, I'm dating Jackie, and you know, we went to go see The Passion of the Christ, right? And I remember being in the theater, and then Jackie's to my right, and I see her, the part where the, the passion begins, and he's being flogged, you know, and her eyes are, you know, watery. And I look to the left, and you know, there's like a, uh, another lady just like bawling. And I remember thinking, should I be feeling worse about this? Why am I not really broken and sad about this? Like, I totally had no idea what part I played in that, right? And, you know, while I was remembering all this, I just wish, right, that I could have gone back in time and just kind of smacked myself over the head like, dude, like, wake up, you're messing up, right? Um, you know, at, there were times where I was like, I'm a good person, who am I doing? wrong to, right? Because, uh, I, I mean, it's not like I grew up atheist, right? I mean, I also, like, like Steve grew up Catholic and, you know, went to church every once in a while. So, uh, you know, I knew that there was a Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I didn't understand it exactly, but, you know, I knew of it. I knew that there was a God, a Jesus, you know, I knew a little bit about the cross, and I knew that, you know, when I died, I would either, either go to one of two places. I just always thought, you know, what I'm doing isn't a big deal. Like, who am I sinning against? I'm not killing anybody, right? And I wish I would have gone back and I would have shared this verse in Psalm 51.4. Against you, you only have I sinned, right? I was sinning against God, right? That's who I was sinning against, right? And when, when I thought that I was a good person, I wish I would have shared Romans 3, chapter 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And, uh, you know, when I was wrestling with the passion, I would have told myself, Julio, yes, you should be feeling bad. You should be feeling mortified because you put them there, Right? And I, I would have shared um, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. I, you know, I, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I wish, you know, but amen. You know, I had to go through what I went through to be here now. Right? To God be the glory. But it's made me so grateful for my wife, for my kids, for this church, and for his sacrifice, right? Which we're celebrating here today, his resurrection. Uh, And it's such a beautiful thing what happens on the cross, right? Because he takes, two things happen. He takes, he gives us mercy, right? He gives us, he forgives us for something that we shouldn't be forgiven of, right? He, uh, the way I understand it is like if you went to court and you're guilty as charged, 
They got your DNA on everything. They got you on camera. You're guilty. But Jesus comes and he pays a fine for you. Uh, you're still guilty, but you don't. But he takes that for you, right? When he's in the garden of Gethsemane asking his father, can you take this cup from me? That's our cup full of wrath from all the sin that we live through. And he takes that from us. He gives us his mercy so that we don't have to go and be punished in hell, which I don't know how it is, but I know that God's not there, so I don't want to be there. Amen? Amen. But on top of that, he gives us grace, right? So not only does he stop us from going to hell, he gives us his grace. Peter puts it like this. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in spirit. Amen. Right? So not only does he save us from, from you know, being uh, in hell, or, uh, but he also allows us to be with him in heaven. So two things happen. To God be the glory, right? Amen. So uh, got to land this, this plane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, Yes. We're about to take communion now. And, um, you know, for my brothers and sisters, you know, it's a time to rejoice and really reflect on the cross and what it means to us. Uh, for the, any guests that haven't really made that decision, yeah, I just invite you to really take a, a look at yourselves and take a look at Jesus and see who you are and who you're not. Um, you know, as unrighteous beings, Webster's Dictionary describes unrighteousness like this. Uh, contrary to the law, unjust, sinful, wicked, and evil. This is who we are without Christ, guys. Um, so let's take heart. And um, there's an announcement. I'm sorry. There's not an announcement. Um, <laughs> if anybody doesn't feel comfortable uh, taking the communion cups um, from the trays, you can exit through the sides, and there's going to be some on the foyer outside, okay? So I'm going to pray for our communion, and um, Heavenly Father, just thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. I could say thank you to, I have no more air in my lungs, and it still wouldn't be enough to show you how gratitude I am, Father, how gracious I am. I just uh, appreciate you. I appreciate your sacrifice, what you did for us, Father. You did that before because you loved us so much. You loved us before we first loved you, Father. We're just so thankful. Just help us really work out our sanctification, Father. Help us get better every day. Please help our light shine brighter every day, Father. Just be a blessing to everyone around us. I ask you to please pour out your blessings on everyone in this room. And just thank you again for this beautiful moment here, Father. We love you. We thank you. It is in your God's name we pray, and all of God's children say, Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.